0: This episode of Inquisitive is brought to you by Ting and Squarespace.
1: My name is Stephen Hackett and my favorite album is Plans by Death Cab for Cutie. If I could open my arms And span
0: the length of the Isle of Manhattan I'd bring
1: it to where you are
0: Making a lake of the East River So as is the... Seeming to be a trend with pretty much Mm -hmm. every album uh, recently. I've never heard this. Never listened to any Def Cab. Um, I know Postal Service. I like Postal Service. Um, I like that album that they did. So coming to Def Cab, uh, I had assumptions. And the majority of Def Cab that I have ever heard is actually sitting in your car. That's the the most Death Cab is is being with you in your car in Memphis is the most that I've ever heard, and this album sounds pretty much exactly like I expected it would.
1: Yeah, if you look at a Death Cab's arc, and they've been they've been around since the late '90s, a lot of their music falls into you know sort of down tempo um, pop music. I mean, it, it you know they've got they've got albums that are, are Harder than others. The new album has a lot of really upbeat stuff on it, but um, but plans is is right in the middle of their career. It came out in two thousand five, and it is definitely like when you say Death Cab, what people think is this album, um, not necessarily this this album in particular, but the sound of this album, the lyrics on this album, uh, the feel that this album has, I think, is what people associate with the band, which is fair. I mean. <laughs> Uh, it's fair, so yeah, it surprises me. And you and I have talked about this before that you haven't listened to a lot of Death Cab. It I don't know if it's um, if that's a regional thing because our friend Federico uh, loves Death Cab. He's excited that I picked this. We were talking about it uh, just last night. But um, yeah, I'm surprised you haven't come across it more.
0: None of my friends listen to it. Like, I I didn't, I didn't, don't know anybody in England that is a fan of Def Cab for QT. Like, that it's been brought up to me, you know? No, I've yeah. never heard anybody say how much they love Def Cab. I only found out about Postal Service because of Kevin Rose on Dignation talking about it. <laughs> right? So, you know, it was kind of like I was in that phase where anything he liked, I would like. Uh, so I went and listened to that album and know it from there. Um, but yeah. that that's the extent of it. Like, I don't know of anybody else that I know that, that really listen to this. And Federico, I don't know if he's a good uh kind of gauge at this because he is very much into American music, right? And it's, follows it's American true. music, uh, as well as British music. So I don't think I don't know if he's really a a good stab at what is uh specific to regions. Hmm. But but I don't know. They are very American. So this sound to me, the sound of death Cab for QT is a very American sound. The 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 kind of inflection in is it Ben
1: Gibbard? Ben Gibbard, yeah. He's the, the lead singer, writes most of the songs, and he was half of the Postal Service as well.
0: Yeah. So there is a tone like that he makes in his voice that I hear <laughs> in many, many other bands. Like the tone of his voice is very American sound to me, a very American kind of rock punk kind of sound that I hear.
1: Yeah I think I think that's fair. And Gibbard's voice is is interesting in that uh, it is very high-pitched, um, where he he sings much higher than a lot of uh, other lead singers and bands like Death Cab. And I think that's one reason their sound is so distinct. I think one reason a lot of the music sounds... All the, all the music sounds are related because his voice is kind of the the string throughout it all. But, um, but you know, Plans is is... My favorite for a couple of reasons, you know. Look, I, I knew it was going to be a Death Cab record uh, when you asked me to to pick, and I struggled with what which one it would be, and I settled with this one for a reason that um, has been an interesting repetition on this this version of Inquisitive, in, in that people. There's a time in, in in most for most people in their lives where the music they listen to within that window sticks with them, right? So you had Dr. Drang on talking about Revolver, which he picked the correct Beatles album. Um, and he's saying, you know, I listened to this in college. Um, I just listened to it endlessly, right? I go home, I put it on and listen to it laying on the floor. For me, uh, that's where this album falls. Uh, 2005, I was a freshman in college. I had a very hard freshman year, Um just a lot of change in my life, and um, this album kind of spoke to that in a way that really connected with me, so it was, I mean, I could i could almost by feel pick it out on my iPod, right, like on the old crazy click wheel that spun around, kids don't know what I'm talking about. Uh, I could just about get to this just by knowing how far my thumb needed to travel, um, and in later years, you know, I have listened to it less, but I think this album just struck a nerve with me at just the right time to really stick around, if that if that makes sense.
0: Yeah, I I think that that is a very normal thing, especially in this series. Like uh, the album says something specific and, and or it played a specific role in your life, I think is becoming a, an important part of it. Did you listen to this album in that way of just like, I'll put it on and do nothing else?
1: Uh, I did some i didn't have I' didn't have a lot of time for that in college, but when i did um I always enjoyed it, but yeah, I would listen to this album doing homework, I would listen to this album walking around campus, I would listen to this album falling asleep um but there were definitely times where if i could i would I would just listen to it and and not do and not do anything else and it's it it's sort of an outlier it, a lot of what I like musically is is harder than this I like a lot of more sort of aggressive rock but I don't um that doesn't discount like this album I'm sure you picked up on is very piano driven very guitar driven uh, it is much slower it's much softer than a lot of other stuff that's in my in my music collection now but it just I think that's one reason that it, that I like listening to it that way that I like listening to all of the little um bits and bobs throughout this album um and when you so I was doing a little homework on it, and the band—it's—it's it's an interesting point in Death Cab's life, and and I think this story is why this one—one one of the reasons I like the music on this album so much is that um, Death Cab had had a huge hit in 2003 in Transatlanticism, like it was on The OC, which I've told—I've been told by the youth was a popular show, um, and it just that album really blew up for them. It was one of those things that they were an indie band. Um, you know, they were from the Pacific Northwest, kind of like the Long Winters crowd, that same sort of part of the country. Chris Walla, who was a guitarist for Death Cab, produced all their albums, produced a lot of other, uh, indie pop uh, music from the Pacific Northwest. And all of a sudden this, this album just explodes and they end up signing a three record deal with Atlantic, which is huge, obviously huge record company here. And, um... In reading interviews from the time, it really sort of freaked the band out. Like, oh my gosh! Like we have this huge thing. Uh, they actually encouraged people to pirate the album, <laughs> um, which I think is just uh, really kind of funny. Why? Um, because they were. Uh, there's a quote somewhere in one of these Rolling Stone links of of uh, Gibbard being weary of the economics of a big album, and um, to help like offset that somehow, that made sense to them at the time. Hmm. So they they go and they record this in a like they rent out a farmhouse and a barn in the middle of nowhere and they basically live out like in this farmhouse and record in this barn um just for weeks and weeks and weeks recording this album and you can tell in listening to it that it is it is it, it is probably their most cohesive record musically and i think that comes from just doing it like Four dudes in a barn, just endlessly cranking on this thing, and it comes out the other end just very cohesive. And so you have bits of piano that are reused on other songs in different ways. You have the same sort of rhythm used uh, across different albums uh, or different songs at different times. And I, I just I like how tightly it's tied together, and I and I just, I'm just fascinated by the idea of we're going to go over here and make this thing, and we're not going to come out till it's done because. I work that way when I have to, but that can actually like hurt my creativity as someone who you know makes things for a living. Sometimes it, it, I, I perform much better usually if it's sort of more open ended. Um, and so that whole idea of just like going away, like we're not, you're not going to see us again until this is done, is just fascinating to me. And I think that sort of introspection and and sort of um, inward looking creative process helps this album as opposed to hurting it. Do you remember where you were when you first heard it? Uh I do. I I so I knew I knew that it was coming out. Um and I actually went sort of near the college I went to. There was a uh, still there actually, uh, a music store. And I went and I, I knew when it was going to come out. I went after my morning class and I actually went and bought it on CD and I I drove back to campus, which was like a block away, two blocks away, and uh, I parked in my car, put it in in my car, and just listened to the whole thing front to back, um, just sitting in the parking lot in like my dinky little car, um, and just I couldn't turn it off until it was done. Like it really was, just from the get go, from from pulling the plastic off, um, something that really connected with me. Is that crazy? It sounds a little crazy.
0: Um. I don't think so. I mean, I especially don't think so after having done this this series because I'm learning how much music means to individuals. Like, you know, it means a lot to me. But I don't think I've ever had that album where I would just sit and listen. Like, I, it's just not the way that I consume music. Right. right. I, I listen to music whilst doing other things. It, it, it provides me with a different kind of function that I think it does to, to other people, but it still means a lot to me. But what I'm learning is different music means different things to people differently. And for you, just in this instance, it seemed to just grab you and you couldn't turn it off. And that is not an, ab- I'm finding that that is not an abnormal thing.
1: Yeah. I, you know, I think it's, we're going to get into the tracks here in a second, but there's something to be said like up front that this is a very, like most Death Cab records, I think this may be a little more so, um, is an extremely sad album and extremely sobering in places. I mean, there's a song about watching somebody you love um, die, which is crazy. Does it make you feel sad? Uh, it, it, it does, but I think like the music on the album, if you, if you listen to it closely, um, I really think the theme of this album is that there's plenty in life and love to be sad about. But if we if we remain together, then there's hope, and I I like that as like a, a a story in life that you know there's a lot of life to be sad about there's a lot of my life to be sad about there's a lot of life in everyone's lives to be sad about, but if you if you stay together and and that changes in this album what that means I think um, then you can you know anything can be overcome anything. Um, like anything sad or anything dark has a redeeming quality about it in and of itself and and that's not i don't think that's immediately like surfaced in this record i think I think one of ben gibbard's uh one of his many tricks as a songwriter is that he will bury something and you have to listen to it a bunch or you have to listen to it in context to to sort of get what he's what he's really saying and i think people write death cab off uh just being like emo naval gazy type band and that's not untrue but i do think there's a second sort of tier to it that that is present and, and that's what i really like about it
0: well why don't we talk about some of the songs then so you can illustrate that point
1: okay you <laughs> know and, now, and now i gotta i gotta build on my thesis yeah what, what could go wrong
0: But actually, before you do that, Stephen, let me take a moment to thank our first sponsor for this week, and that is Ting, a new sponsor for Inquisitive. Ting is a mobile phone service that is actually here to save you money. I'm being serious about this. Ting is a carrier with which their primary goal is to help you save on what you're paying for cell service. Ting believes that you should be paying a fair price for the service you actually use, which is why with Ting, you only pay for exactly that. Go to inquisitive.ting.com and you'll see how much you could be saving with Ting and you'll also get $25 off your first device or credit for Ting service. Ting is a U.S. mobile carrier on two nationwide networks, both CDMA and GSM. There are no contracts, no overage fees, and no need for those not really limited unlimited plans. And Ting is the first provider to allow you to have multiple devices on different networks and all under the same account. 80% of the phones made in the last two years can be brought over to Ting. So there's a strong chance that if you're listening to this show, you're going to have a phone that's going to work no problem. But Ting have a tool on their site to let you check to make sure that yours will work. Ting is helping people actually save money on their phone contracts. An average bill on Ting is just $23 a month. Because all you do is pay for what you use. If you use less, you pay less. You use more, you pay more. And you can easily keep track of what you're using with Ting's online account control panel. If right now you're stuck in a contract, Ting will also give you 25% off your termination fee in credit if you switch over, which is up to $75 per device. With Ting, it's all about simplicity. You pay $6 per device per month for access to the network and then just pay for what you use. It's great for families as you can pool all of your usage into one account for multiple devices, as I said earlier, across even CDMA or GSM networks, all in one account. And if you don't believe that you'll really be saving money, you just head over to their website and you'll find a cal- Calculator tool which you can input all your information in from your previous bills with your current provider, and they'll show you how much money you're currently wasting. To get started, head on over to Inquisitive.Ting.com where you can double-check that you're able to switch your device, or take a look at the phones that Ting offers in their store if you're looking to upgrade. Once you've decided, Ting will help you walk through getting set up, including switching over your existing number if you need to do that. And once you're all set, just start using your device. Ting will break down your usage by minutes, messages, and megabytes, and keep you up. Update you through their easy to use dashboard. Then, at the end of the month, you'll get a clear bill based on your usage. Easy peasy. And as a special offer for listeners of this show, you'll get twenty five dollars off select devices or twenty five dollars of Ting credit by signing up at Inquisitive.Ting.com. So go today and find out how much money you'll be saving with Ting. Thank you so much to Ting for supporting this show and Relay FM. Right, Stephen, let's get into those tracks.
1: So the the first uh, the first song is uh marching band's in Manhattan and it's it, it opens up it's got this there's a lot of a lot of this album sounds bigger than it is so like there's this there's this guitar part there's an organ part it sort of opens up um and i, I think right off the bat you end up with this like imagery that that Gibbard uses in in a lot of his songs um about you know he wanting to to basically uh, flood Manhattan <laughs> uh, that basically to turn a lake uh, turn the rivers into a lake and and there's all this sort of like really intense um, visuals in this song, but right off the bat you get another trick of Gibbard's, and that almost every Death Cab song is written to an unknown subject right so most of the songs have lyrics. Uh, sing to you. And it's never defined who you is, usually. And I think the genius of that is that you can fit these songs into like your life, if that makes sense, right? So if this song reminds me of somebody in my life or a situation in my life, it's going to connect with me. And if it reminds you of somebody else, then it's going to connect with you in a different way. And that's a lot of bands do that, and, and you might even write that off as sort of a cheap trick, but I think it's powerful in that it it works. Um, I don't know, and you know, this the song has a lyric about um, sorrow dripping into your heart through a pinhole, which is quite sad. Yeah, that's, um, that's very sad. That's it's it's. I think that's very, too sad. <laughs> your love is gonna drown, Mike. That's that's the bridge. Excellent. Um uh, But even in this song, you know, he's talking about. You know, you say that I'm a hermit, but you know I'm gonna go and I'm gonna open the blinds and the sun's gonna come in and, you know, I can change. I can. There's a brighter day, coming. And so even like, sad song, yes, but it's got this little hook in there of, hey, um, this is not unsalvageable. Like that my, whatever my deal is here in this song, is something that uh that can be fixed, Which which I like. I think I think a lot of things in life. Are sad and and you know I had a really hard time in my first couple years of college with a lot of stuff and um very often felt overwhelmed or or just crushingly sad. But knowing that there is that little opportunity for change is is, is was important to me and I think important to anyone in that sort of situation. Is your love gonna drown, Mike? That'd be sad. I hope not. <laughs> I try I try my best to avoid those scenarios. Yeah, it's 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 heavy duty. What, what can you say? All of those, all
0: of the songs are pretty on the face of it, which I think you know. See, so you can take that as red if you like. I think they just sound nice, right? They're sad, but they they sound nice. And I guess you don't really necessarily get sad unless you actually start listening to what he's singing about.
1: Yeah, and there's a contrast there, right? I mean, um. So Chris Waller produced this album. He was until the, the latest album, he's no longer in the band, um, was a a big driving force as far as how the things sounded. And I think that he does excellent he's an excellent producer. And I think especially on this record, like a lot of these songs sound really happy until you start listening to the words. Like they're all very open sounding. There's a lot of like you said, they're just they're beautiful to listen to. I would actually really like to listen to this record without the lyrics, like just to have it as a piece of music because it's so well put together. But um, yeah, I agree with you. It does, it, is, it is all very pretty. Very pretty. Um, I, I'm really curious what you thought about the second song. Soul Meets Body is the big single off this this album, and I wondered if, if you not knowing that, did you, could you tell this was sort of the leading song, or any thoughts around that? I, I
0: All I noted about that song was that it was more upbeat. It sounded, it had like a faster tempo, and I was kind of expecting everything to be slow and solemn.
1: Yeah, I, I, I can't help but think that was part of the idea of it being a single, that, um, because there, there's a song on this album that's completely acoustic that was also a single that did terribly as as, as, as on the charts at least. Like, I think singles kind of need to be upbeat, and if you want to be played on the radio, you don't want people weeping in their cars in traffic. But, um, but yeah, so Soulmate's Body" was was the first single, and uh, it was the big the big song off this record. And again, it's there's a lot of there's a lot of darkness in this song, but um but it also has the the sort of idea that a relationship can take you sort of out of that and and provide you a safe harbor. Um this song was was really big. My wife and I dated since high school and we never like we never had a lot of the relationship drama that that most people have, right? Like she was actually the only girl I ever dated and um it was just really great from the get go and so like while i had a lot of other stuff going on my first couple years of college like our relationship was that harbor for me uh, a lot of the time and so this song really meant a lot to me in context of her of giving me a place you know setting me in a path where we could go together and um sort of a, a separate place from the rest of that stuff And I think a lot of people feel that way about their relationships. I think that that's a a pretty universal thing for a lot of people. And, um, I think that's why the song did so well, honestly. So there were only two singles on the album. Uh, they, they released, I think they ended up with three. Um, I think Crooked Teeth ended up being a single like then, like a year later. Right. But, um, but Soulmate's Body and then, um, I'll Follow You Into the Dark were the two big ones. Um. And I uh, Will Follow You to the Dark is interesting. Um, your tracks 3 and 4, Summer Skin, and different names. Like, I, Summer Skin might be my favorite musically. Like, I love the piano and the drum part in, in Summer Skin. But neither of those songs do much for me. Like lyrically, or, or storytelling-wise. There, there's a nice, I'll, I'll send you a link, there's a nice story about different names that uh, Gibbard overheard a couple arguing on a train and basically wrote the song, like, listening to them. Um, mm-hmm. And um, different names is also nice. So we didn't mention it, but Plans is actually two projects. Plans is the, the album that we're talking about, but then Death Cab commissioned... Videos for every song, and it's called that project called Directions. It came out, I think, a year later, and they were by twelve different, like different directors. So, like if you watch Directions, I watched it again last night. um, No two—they're not really even music videos. No two short films are the same. They're all very different: animated, live action, happy, sad, dark, light. I mean, they're all over the place. But different names is actually. All it is is a music classroom, like at a middle school, maybe, of like students playing different names as an orchestra. Um, Like that's the whole. It's like the whole video, and it's just really. It's one of my favorites. Since the Directions is a fun like side project, and one reason I like this album that the creativity went beyond just the music. Um, But as far as like listening through this album, I don't skip songs on this album, but Summer Skin and Different Names might be two that I would if if I if I. If I was that kind of music listener, but yeah, I will follow you into the dark. Is um, is interesting? I sent you this, um, I think. But um, uh, if you listen to the album, the song stands out because it's just Gibbard and a guitar. Like, there's no, there's no piano, there's no drums, and how that came about? They were having issues during recording, and Gibbard basically picked up. Just a guitar, and was practicing it. The song was supposed to be fuller, and so he was just going to practice his part. And they ended up recording that sort of accidentally, but just on the vocal mic. So he's sitting somewhere, he's got a vocal mic, he's singing to the guitar is not mic'd, and if you listen to it, the guitar is way in the background; right? you can barely even hear it in places. And again, the genius of Chris Walla was like this this sounds like this is magical the way this sort of just happened and so they ended up um doing it one more time and the second take is what's on the album it's just gibber and a guitar the guitar is not mic'd. it's in mono it's just really it's like a guy like sitting on the edge of a bed singing and um the, the song is is beautiful lyrically but i really like that story of the they sort of stumbled into this while recording, like they had a technical issue. They accidentally recorded it, and they ran with it. I like that sort of freedom and flexibility that they show there. It's pretty cool. I mean, I think it it sounds like that, right? Like when I, I didn't know the story until years later, and I remember listening to it. And I did as much audio stuff as I do now. I did even more in college, especially like live music and everything. And I had always guessed that that's how they did it. That he was just singing or there was like a, the the room was mic'd but the guitar wasn't and it turns out that's uh exactly what happened which is is pretty cool like how often do you and I as podcasters get to like make a mistake and then it turned into something wonderful you know like this doesn't happen for us I think that was this show um
0: <laughs> it remind, it's good because that reminds me of the Bruce Springsteen stuff right like it was just the way it was recorded, it ended up being an accident, but the accident was beautiful, so they released it. Which, you know, I, I quite like that. I like that thought that these things can be imperfect, but in their own way, uh, a work of art. Which is which is interesting. It's a very different type of thing. It's a very different way of thinking about creation, I think.
1: Yeah, it's it's... I mean... They clearly had some sort of preconceived idea of what that song would sound like. I'm sure there's demos of that song, um, but yeah, this this other thing comes up and happens, and instead of being married to their creative vision for it, they say, "Hey, they they recognize that something has happened, um, and they embrace that." And I, I just I really like that as 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 a creative as someone like. I just find that really attractive and I, I'm i really bad at that like I did two my first years in college one of the reasons the first years of college were so hard is that I was uh, in art school and that didn't stick um and I was always so bad at that sort of serendipity of of hey you made a mistake and you stumbled into something and I would always try to correct the mistake and go back to where I was trying to be um and it always ends up worse than if you just if the mistake leads you opens another door leads you down another path. Embracing it is something I I really struggle with, and um, so I, I like that sort of the nerd in me likes the song, the creative in me likes the song of just how it got put together. But it, it didn't it didn't do well in the charts. But to this day, it's the band's best selling single. So clearly, it connects with people. But um, I don't know. It's it's uh it's I I I just like that backstory, if you will. Are there any other songs that really speak out to you? There, there are two towards the end that really stand out to me. One track is called "What Sarah Said," and that song is very, that song is about being in the hospital and watching someone die. It's, there's there's not much redeeming in this song as far as like my theory of there is hope laced in the sadness. This song is just sadness. Um, but this is one of the songs that has changed meaning for me as I've gotten older, where when I was in college, I really wasn't familiar with the concept of death in any intimate way, um, but I am now, and I can't make it through this track without really like starting to have a, <laughs> a little moment, you know, like tearing hmm. up, feeling feeling that draw of the song, um, and, and I think that's one reason this album has stuck with me over the last decade is that. Songs on this album have changed meaning for me, and uh, this is definitely the top of that list. And it came to me then that every plan is a tiny branch of Father Time as I stared in my shoes. It's a, it's a tough one. I mean, I was talking to Federico about it, and he was like, "Yeah, that I can't. I can't do that song. Like, <laughs> it's it's a hard one." I haven't got that way with it yet, but I think
0: it's because I'm not intimately familiar with it. You know, and so I guess it takes that like truly listening, like truly, truly listening a couple of times and picking up what they're talking about and what they're singing about, and, um, and the kind of the the things that they're focusing on is probably what ends up making it such a heavy hitter.
1: Yeah, and it's it's another good example of Gibbard's ability to paint a picture with his lyrics. Um so he he basically is describing sitting in the ICU and how it smells. Um and you know that there's year-old magazines and that he's there's vending machines humming in the corner and like he paints a picture. I mean, we've all or at least a lot of people, have been in that situation. right? Like, you're in a waiting room, you don't know what's going on, and it's just, those are terrible places to be. And he paints that picture in this song. Um I think that's one reason it's so real, is that, that what he describes is real. Um This is also a a weird Death Cab song in that at the end, Gibber turns to us as the listener. So this song is written in first person. He's singing I, me... um and then at the end he turns to us and asks us a question. And that is really unusual in his writing. And I think it's one of the reasons this song is so powerful that he paints this picture of watching someone that he loves die. And then he looks at us and says, Well who's got you know, who's if if love is watching someone die, who's gonna watch you die? Who loves you this way to be with you at the end? And that is something that really catches me off guard every time. Even though I know it's there, I know this album backwards and forwards. That sort of like direct approach that he takes in this is really sort of a stunning break from his normal type of type of writing so who's gonna watch it's, uh, it's it's powerful stuff, and I think I think the song after though may actually be. If you if you if you had me say you know what is your favorite song on the record I think Brothers in a Hotel Bed um, would be and it's unusual in that Chris Waller wrote the lyrics or at least was the main writer of the lyrics and it it that sort of shows um, but it's a it's a song about growing older and and changing as we as we grow older and I I think that this is the other song on the record that has really changed meaning for me that. I look at like who I was a decade ago and who I am now there's obviously a lot that's the same I, I don't really believe that people can change radically but I do think people change slowly over time and that that life changes people you know I, I don't know if, if I don't know if I believe that people have the capacity within them to make a great change um or drastically change things about the personality but I do think that outside forces can do that to you um, or it's more likely to at least and uh Brothers in Hotel Bed talks about that, of, you know, I am not who I was. Uh, that has a lot of ramifications for the the narrator in that um, his relationship is falling apart because he has changed and because he has gotten older and he has become a different person than maybe who he once was. And that's something that, that speaks to me now, having gone through a lot of stuff in life and knowing that it has changed me in ways that aren't good and that um, I am, a, in some ways, a worse person than I was a decade ago for it. Um, and th- that does have ramifications in life and in the way I treat people and the way that I relate to people. And it, like what Sarah said, it's a it's a hard song for me to get through because I recognize that, that there are ways in which I am uh, closed off now that I'm maybe once wasn't, or that there are things in my life that are harder about me than maybe they once were. And it's, it's sort of a a realization that I don't, I don't think about a lot, but when I do, it's always very uh, pointed in that you can't, you can't build anything. Like if you build a relationship or you build a marriage or something, it is, um, it is about who you are now, but it is also about who you were and who you will be. And if that requires like checking in and work and uh, a real consciousness about who you are and where you are in life, not just, um, Hey, you know, we were really happy 10 years. I mean, how many times have you heard we were really happy years ago and I don't know what happened. Like this song is telling that story and it's a warning of if you don't watch that, then you can fall into it uh, like sideways like not even see it coming and uh it's something that I think a lot about and that I'm very aware of in my relationships of hey I need to to really keep a check on myself to make sure that my baggage or my stuff doesn't blow this up because it can and it does for a lot of people and I don't want that to happen and um that's not the way I approached this song when I was you know 19 Um, but it is how I approach the song now here, uh, at almost 30. All right, let me just take a quick break
0: and I want to get into that for just a second. But this episode is brought to you by Squarespace. You can start building your own website today at squarespace.com and you want to use the code inquisitive at checkout to get yourself 10% off. Squarespace, build it beautiful. When it comes to giving yourself a place online, Squarespace is the place to do it. They can help you build a site that looks professionally designed regardless of your skill level and with no coding experience required. They have intuitive and easy to use tools that make building a website Super easy. It's all drag and drop. It's really, really simple to do and you can make a site that's going to look and feel exactly how you want Squarespace are trusted by millions of people around the world and this is in part due to their state of the art technology that they use to power your site they ensure security and stability and they have 24 7 support with live chat and email if you ever need anything all of their site templates are stunning to look at they all feature responsive design to make your site look great on all sizes of device they also have their commerce platform which allows you to add a store to your Squarespace site, their cover page functionality to build great-looking single-page websites, and they also have their dev platform as well to allow you to stretch your Squarespace site further than ever before. Their plans start at just $8 a month, and if you sign up for a year, you'll get a free domain name as well. You can start a trial today at squarespace.com with no credit card required, and you can start building your website straight away. When you decide to sign up, make sure that you use the offer code INQUISITIVE not only to get 10% off your first purchase, but also to help support this show. I would like to thank Squarespace for their continued support of Inquisitive and Relay FM. Squarespace, build it beautiful. I'm assuming that you've taken a lot of different meaning to a lot of the songs on this album because of how your life has
1: gone over the last 10 years. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's, I'm no stranger to, um, uh, good times, of course, you know, a lot of, a lot of, um, I've had a lot of great stuff happen to me. You know, I've got a wonderful family. I've got, I get to do what I I want to do for a living. I have a lot of good relationships, but I do also have this big thing in my life with my, my oldest son uh, being diagnosed with, with cancer when he was a baby and, and and the ensuing six and a half years of that now. uh, I, I would be foolish to think that that hasn't changed me and hasn't changed my outlook. And, Again, I think that's one reason this album in particular sticks with me because I can listen to it now. I was listening to it last night, and it me songs mean different things to me now than they did then um, before all of this stuff. And you can say that about a lot of albums, of course. You know, um, this wouldn't be my favorite album just based on that. It's it's based on that I loved it then and I love it now, uh, but I love it from different standpoints. And I think that that's one of the reasons that um these songs and so many songs really are written the way that they are so you can connect to them you know you can sort of adapt them to to you and sort of lock into to how they make sense for you and um you know you guys have talked a lot about that on this on this show that you know people take things away from songs that maybe even the songwriter didn't think of or didn't intend i think it's definitely true for me here considering the
0: amount of uh meaning that you draw from the album, especially today, do you listen to it often?
1: Not, no. In fact, when you uh, when you approached me about this uh, several weeks ago, um, I knew it was going to be on the list, and I actually hadn't listened to it um, in probably a year because it is sort of a heavy duty experience for me now, um, especially the these these songs that we just spoke about the the towards the end of the album. Uh, it is not in my normal rotation because it is—it's not fun listening for me. If that makes sense, I enjoy it deeply, but it's not something I'm going to listen to driving around anymore. Other Death Cab albums, yes, like the, their newest one, I've been listening to a lot, but um, but this one is sort of up on a shelf now, and I, I pull it down and dust it off when it when I need to, but for the for the most part, no, it's it's not something that you know I I listen to with any sort of regularity now. But, um, I think that's true for a lot of people's, fa- I mean, I think that's, I think it's true for a lot of people's favorite albums and a lot of people's favorite music that it's sort of, uh, gains uh respect maybe. I don't know if that's the right word, but, you know, sort of gains a status in which, um, it's sort of more of an experience than something to casually listen to. Have you ever seen them play any of it live? I have. I've seen them live several times and, um... Uh, The first time I saw them was, it may have even been on this tour. Um, And I've seen them play it live more recently. I saw them about two years ago, and they played uh, Soul Meets Body and I think, one other song? I think maybe, no, he played I Will Fall You Into the Dark, like they do it on the album. Like, he was on stage with just a vocal mic in a huge concert hall and played it, which was just uh, beautiful. Um, And they put on a good show. uh, A lot of their stuff is much heavier and louder in in person which is is fun that they do a lot of um they're not afraid to mix things up you know so many bands play the album and, and death cab plays the live versions of the song that are different but um it is powerful in person too when they when they played uh or when he played i'll follow you into the dark um there were a bunch of people just really moved by that and uh, including me um that that power definitely uh resonates live as well
0: and is this an album that you ever recommend to people? Because you obviously love it, but is it a, an album that you would say, hey, buddy, you should take a listen to this one?
1: Probably not. um, Except for all the people that you're recommending listen to ex- it now. Except for the tens of thousands of people listening to me right now. Uh, but say that someone... like If I'm introducing Death Cab to somebody... Uh, this would not be one of the albums I say you start with. It's uh, the um, the bassist uh, for the album, uh, or for Death Cab, is uh, a guy named um, Nick Harmer. And he's quoted in saying that if transatlanticism is the inhale, plans is the exhale. That the albums are, are a pair, but plans is very different and... So if you're starting out with Death Cab, if you listen to this and say, Hey, I want to check out this band, like I would not start with this. I would start with maybe their newest one, uh, which at this point is uh Kintsugi, and then maybe something like Transatlanticism. Uh that may be just my personal hang ups or my personal like connection with the with the album. But I do think sort of objectively it's not their it's not their um easiest album to get into because so much of it's down tempo, because so much of it is sad. That it's not like a first, it's not an easy first listen, if that makes sense. Which is basically what I made you do, so sorry. But um, it's not where I would start with their with their library at this point. Do you find
0: that, I mean, you said that you, you mainly listen to different stuff to, to this kind of music. But do you think that Death Cab has influenced your musical taste in any way?
1: i think they definitely have i mean i do like a lot of harder louder stuff um but i also do have a a huge love for piano driven um music with the guitar in it like i I, like death cab and like ben folds um i've just named like two like the (laughs) most white guy bands ever um I love both of those approaches of starting with the piano, starting with the guitar and going from there, you know, so much, so much music is written from a lead electric guitar, um, standpoint first. And then they kind of use the rest of it to backfill. And I really like Chris Wallace's approach on this album. And, and there are other albums, they have an album called codes and keys where I think they went too far with this, but having the piano be a voice on the album. I mean, the, the keys on this, on this record are singing as well. They have, there are parts of these songs that are built only based around the piano part. And I really like that, even though it's not what I listen to when I'm driving around all that much. It is something that I, that I deeply enjoy and deeply respect as someone who I sort of like played musician when I was younger a little bit, I was never super great, but I always really respected and appreciated people who could build a song like this. And um, there's a lot of layers to it that I find really enjoyable
0: you proud of this album choice
1: I am I once I sort of settled on it I knew you know listening to it again last night talking with you today it was definitely the right choice uh for me because in my because I'm old in my iTunes library on my iPod um of what I have there, I have a lot of other stuff from this era of my life, of you know, ten, twelve years ago when I was in school, that I don't listen to now, right? Like I've got bands in there that I pro- I promise you I haven't hit play on one of their albums in eight years, um, and they're still hanging around. And then I have a lot of music that I've come to since then that a lot of bands that I like now who didn't exist in two thousand five or who uh, were around but I wasn't into that I'm into now. But this. Because it spans that. It spans from like when I first started getting into music in high school, listening to Death Cab in high school, listening to this album in college. And, you know, I pre ordered their new album. There are very few bands whose careers sort of match the same arc of my musical life of listening to to music and, and purchasing music and downloading music on college campuses. And so for me, it is the right choice because it sits so squarely on top of like both of those endpoints, if that makes sense.